Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about growing your authority circle. More good people. Yeah, right? So call, call back to Rochelle's book, The Authority Code and the Authority Circle Concept, uh, which we've talked about from time to time. It's been a long time, though. And we wanted to specifically focus on the notion of growing your authority circle versus, you know, identifying it for the first time or establishing it because it's just that time of year to step back and think about doing things that um, maybe you have fallen off your radar uh, in the when life happens and client work gets crazy and so forth go through the holidays and come back and be like oh, okay like heads clear what should I be doing how should I be spending my time most effectively yeah and I think with the authority circle it's it, it's a group of people who really amplify or can help you amplify what you're doing. So it's one of those things that it's sort of easy to ignore and not really think about on a day-to-day basis. And it's it's the thing is, it's both strategic in terms of, you know, that you need to build this thing and really grow it. But it's also tactical because reaching out to people, staying in touch, um, interacting is a very kind of a tactical exercise. Tactile and tactical. Right, right. So the decision to do it is pretty, it's reasonably high level because it's not, it can be a fair amount of work actually. And it's generally the kind of thing that is a long-term type of benefit. There's probably um, not, what I'm trying not to say reciprocity. It's like, it's like there needs to be some leap of faith in your mind that reaching out to broaden your authority circle to maybe someday amplify your message is going to start off by you showing up in a generous way to help other people uh, and you're just getting a little strategic about which people you're going to reach out to in in this particular context well yeah and it gets on your list of priorities because this is an easy one that just kind of falls to the bottom because we're not talking about finding clients Right. Right. So if you're in that point where you're desperate for clients, this is probably not going to be number one on your on your radar. But when you've got, you know, some and you're continuing to build that and to build your pipeline, it's a good time to really start to pay attention to. All right. How am I going to build this circle of people where we can help each other? And, you know, we're we're basically on the same side, if you will. Mm hmm. Yeah, and this is really timely for me because it's it, it happens to be I, I didn't think of it like this, like growing my authority circle, but it it but it is I'm doing something that is uh, basically amounts to this. So you know, for the year, I'm trying to increase awareness of the the mission and the mm-hmm. you know free stuff and paid stuff that I have available to help people stop trading time for money and. And this year, it's all focused on awareness, increasing the awareness. And, and of all the jillion things I could do to increase awareness, like, you know, go nuts with SEO or paid ads or sponsoring shows or uh, going to trade shows for freelancers and consultants or all of the things you could do. Tactically speaking, the one that I am most focused on right now is reaching out to podcasts that are listened to by the same kind of people that I'm trying to reach and building a relationship with the hosts of those shows basically mm-hmm. and it's um it, it's a lot of work i mean it it's it is time consuming so you know it's a commitment maybe it'll never turn into anything maybe we won't click you know any given person it's possible to not click with them 
Um, but yeah, so I thought this is, so when you suggested this idea, I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of been on my mind, but I wouldn't have framed it in that way. Well, no, because you're thinking about awareness and being on a podcast, which of course is amplification of your message. But there's something about with podcasts, especially there's an intimacy, not just in the people listening, but between you and the host. So that, you know, we've had it on our own show here. We have the green room, if you will, which is the discussion beforehand. And if you can bond with someone in that part of it, and then it carries through the episode, then when you're done with the episode, it's natural to have a brief conversation and you start to develop a rapport. And typically you can then start to communicate with that person in some way and start, you know, the beginnings of a relationship. So I love it for that. Yeah. In my mind, I wasn't like, it wasn't top of mind when I decided to to do podcast outreach as an awareness building technique, it wasn't top of mind to me that like, oh yeah, I'm going to be creating relationships with, with the hosts and maybe have them on ditching hourly, or maybe it would make sense to have them come on business of authority or something, but it's like, oh, right. It's not just, I mean, usually when I think about podcast outreach, not to get too specific on this particular tactic, but the way I think of it is I want to help the host deliver value to their audience with like minimal effort on their part. Like that's the way I think of it. So mm-hmm. if it's clear what their audience is, that if, you know, if their audience is clearly either, you know, whatever it is, software developers, if they identify that way, or just general freelancers or consultants or coaches or photographers or landscape architects or whatever, then I'm going to craft a suggestion for an episode that I believe will make sense for that audience to deliver value to them. So I'm taking the host into consideration always in that regard, but I wasn't mm-hmm. also thinking until you brought it up, that this often leads to a, a a sort of online buddy relationship with the other host. It Like I can look back and think to, of a bunch of examples where, you know, either somebody reached out to me or I reached out to someone and, and one or the other appeared on the other person's show. And then you keep in touch, you know, because you know enough about the other person to where you either could uh, perhaps suggest you know you like you know what they do you know what their positioning is and so if if something comes along where it's like oh you'd be a you should talk to this person from this podcast over there or that you know maybe because that's what they do for their their day job so to speak or um or you just know what their what their theme for the year is and how perhaps there's something really um an easy light lift for you to do that could help them with something it's just you know it's it's a it's a that that sort of asymmetric intimacy that podcasting creates with the audience is like, it's even a step. It's not asymmetric in the case of the, of their host, because you, you're actually on a phone call with them, you know? So you, it's a two way thing. And I mean, geez, I, I don't talk to my parents an hour a week, you know? So if, if like, you know, if I jump on a phone call with someone who is kind of fighting the same fight, cause most of these folks that I'm reaching out to are, they either help freelancers or consultants, improve their business in some way so we're kind of on the same team they're generally always on the same team and maybe maybe they're less specific or more specific about a particular thing but it's extremely predictable or or it's not surprising when we click so it's like oh yeah right there's that added benefit of creating these sort of you know i don't want to overstate the depth of the relationship but it's like a professional um 
you know, a professional relationship where you kind of like, oh, I should send somebody, oh, this person would be perfect for Joel's program or something like that. And it's like, oh, you can start sort of like helping each other out and, and maybe someday that'll turn into something good for you. But it's, you, you know, it, it's, it's a leap of faith to imagine that uh, that's going to materialize into something down the road. But well, another way to look at it is, um, you know, when you describe the, the original intent, it, it's transactional, right? I want to get on these podcasts. I want to help their audience and it will help me get the message across. So it's transactional. There's a benefit for both sides. But what happens is that you can move something that's a transactional relationship into something that's relational, you know, in other words, that there is actually a relationship developed. And you won't do that with everybody. There's some transactional kinds of things that will remain transactional no matter what you do, because there's just no resonance. Like there's nothing where you go, yes, you know, I really, I think that person's really interesting or they're really smart or they're whatever. Um, you know, we both play um, bass guitar. I, I don't know, whatever that is, <laughs> yeah. right? There's something that's relational and that makes you want to invest in the relationship versus something that is more, I'm not going to say purely transactional because you can still like the other person and do a transaction, but there's a difference between that and starting to build a relationship. So you won't build one with everybody, but where there's resonance, that's your clue that there may be some value in investing in this relationship for both of you. Mm. Yeah, totally. And what you're saying is when we start a band, you're going to play bass. <laughs> oh yeah because I, I got such amazing rhythm <laughs> <laughs> you're rocking out in the back yeah that's me um cool all right so probably i feel like i'm dominating or at least pulling the conversation into this like podcast outreach that's just one that's just one sort of it's not even an approach it wasn't even my intention to approach it for that reason but but yeah it's it is a it is something that will potentially grow your authority circle because it create relationships with these other people who are in your sort of brand neighborhood. Um, what are, what are some other ways that you've seen people, if they want to say, you know, make that authority circle bigger, like they have an authority circle, but it's been kind of static. It's not something they've been tending to and, uh, and they want to grow it. Well, you know, the first thing we've talked about this all the time with finding clients, but it's true for your authority circle too, is watering holes and, you know, virtual and physical. It's where are some of the people hanging out that you might want to know better. And, you know, I think about how you and I met was in Twitter. I, I, I think that's where you found my article that you kept retweeting. So it just, you know, happened to find each other in this little tiny Twitter corner of the Twitter universe. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm seeing a lot of that happening on LinkedIn right now, right? Because Twitter's mm, a little bit more challenging these days to have any traction on it. So you know, a lot of, you know, corporate B2B types are migrating to LinkedIn and you see some of those conversations. And what's interesting about it in, in terms of LinkedIn is they're much more vulnerable than they used to be, right? We're showing our foibles a little bit more. We're talking about things that maybe we didn't talk about before. So it gives the opportunity to go a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have definitely noticed that. Um, I've been, as part of this year, I've been sort of dipping my toe back into like what I would consider legitimate 
use of social media where you're not just broadcasting stuff there. And uh, that has been my experience where people are a little bit, you know, LinkedIn feels a little like it's taken one step toward the kind of Facebook vibe since last I paid much attention to it. It's much more, it's, it's less resume buttoned down, you know, it's a little bit more, I don't know if lively is the right word, but yeah, it, it's, it's definitely. Yeah. It, I, yeah, I, I, maybe it is lively. I feel like there's more of a personality there um, without quite the snark. I mean, there's still some snark in there. I mean, it'd be boring with no snark, but um, it doesn't have the, you know, the, the snarkiness level of a Twitter. Um, but yeah, I actually think it's making it more interesting, especially with the B2B people, because you're seeing some of the, of the corporate suits let their hair down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Not too much, but a little bit. So what do you, so let's go a little bit deeper into like specifics around like a watering hole kind of uh, relationship building, circle building, like, so I could, I can imagine, you know, you go there and you, you sort of like us, you see someone that's like saying something that's very well put and you totally agree with you. You're like, oh yeah, that is right on the money. And you kind of like discover this person who's as I often say, they're like we're all climbing. You know, there's this group of people that are all climbing the same mountain, but we're on different points or different different mm-hmm. places, so we don't know they're there. And then, so when you stumble across someone who's taken a completely different path to get to where they are than where than to where you are, but you're both headed for the same point way up at the top. And it's like, oh, cool. Like I I think it's cool. I suppose some could argue that that they're competition, but I don't see it like that. So when I see someone like that, it's it's yeah, like I'll usually do some kind of some kind of engagement or interaction with them that is probably what they're looking for. I mean, you know, a share, a retweet, a like, a comment. Um, I mean, they're on social media. They probably want those things. So it's so that is in theory going to make them happy or perhaps notice. You like, oh, that was nice. You know, and maybe whatever. You just yeah. have, you know how social media works. Give first. Like, yeah. Yeah. Give first. Exactly. For me, not to bring it back to podcast again, but for me, a lot of times what ends up happening next is if I really find out the person is like super, like whatever, super interesting to me in a way that I think would be valuable to, uh, especially the ditching hourly audience, I would say, you know, that that's a lot of times the next ask, which is like, oh, could you, you want to, I'd love to talk to you about this very specific thing that you are posting mm-hmm. about or you wrote about or this chapter of your book. And, uh, you know, here's a link, you know, you want to join me? If yes, then click on this link and book a time. So that's sometimes, sometimes, but much less often, it's like what happened with us where they're like, Hey, we should just, we should just meet like no recording, none of that. It's just, we should just meet, grab a time in, uh, in whichever's calendar for like 15 minutes, just like say hi and catch up, you know, get to know each other a little bit. That, that does actually happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've done that many times. And it's you'd be surprised even when you think somebody has like a much bigger reputation than you. You'd be surprised at how often they'll say, yeah, let's grab 15 minutes or half an hour. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was surprised. That's not a natural we, behavior for me. <laughs> well, you know, I, I had to offer. I mean, I'm like, who is this guy that keeps doing my stuff? I need to know more about him. Um, but before we leave the the um, LinkedIn and podcast thing, it's one of the advantages of having a podcast is that when you're on a social media outlet like LinkedIn and you find somebody, it's a great way 
to meet them in a way that is giving, even though you're receiving, because you're going to have this asset after you talk with them, but they have that asset too. So I think your chances of, of getting a positive response are pretty high when you've yeah. got a podcast like that. Yeah. it's one. In fact, it's one of the big benefits of having of starting a podcast in the first place i talk about this in five day podcast challenge it's like it's not just about like getting a bunch of listeners it's like it's a huge relationship building tool where like you said you sort of got this mutual benefit thing um that's that's great but again it doesn't have to be recorded doesn't have to be published it could just be like hey you've got some really interesting ideas about x y or z we should we should probably get to know each other a little bit better and see if I almost said, see if there are some ways that we could work together, but that's not even what I would actually say. It's yeah, it's like, that starts to feel more fast. like a new business pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, and that's always the challenge is that it, it's if it, this is a dance, you know, you can't just go over and go, hey, dance with me now yeah, and grab them out on the floor. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's this is a it's a it's a slower, you know getting to know you kind of a dance and and you know I mean you can tell when somebody reaches out to you on LinkedIn if they're all about the transaction you can usually tell just from their profile but if if you can't tell from that the way that they do the invite will make it clear yeah it's like yeah oh hey I love your stuff listen can I tell you about do you need a SEO or <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly oh, exactly yeah well so okay so, the- so- yeah, so, so watering it, holes, but I, I didn't want to just leave social media. I mean, that's an obvious one, but there's some really interesting watering holes, like by industry. I mean, maybe you're part of a some kind of an association, and all of them have places now where you can go and ask questions or have a dialogue of some sort. Um, and maybe it's it might even be on social media, but linked to the association. Like there might be a LinkedIn group where people talk about certain things or a Facebook group that is hosted by this outside organization. And so it's kind of like, you know, you just got to keep nosing around until you find places where your people are. And and I also want to include some Slack channels. I mean, there are people like us have Slack channels that support, you know, different business products that we offer, but there's also just Slack channels where you pay $25, $50, $100, and you're in. And, you know, they're not always the greatest, but sometimes they can be exactly what you need. And you can not just connect with people, you can also get advice there sometimes when you're faced with a challenge. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, if you can even take it a step further, if people are like trying having a hard time finding watering holes in the obvious places, um, you can, I've, I've accidentally noticed when, uh, for example, joining, joining a workshop that has a cohort or really any kind of class that has a cohort of, of, I mean, you probably don't want people exactly like you, but you, you know, it could be it. It could be sort of heterogeneous where they might be uh, potential client type people, but we're talking about your, your authority circle. So maybe um, like when I joined the Seth Godin's marketing seminar the first time, there were like 1500 people in it. And, and I totally connected with like three or four of the people in there who were like, oh yeah, this person gets it. And just totally different person and like and there's one in particular we've kind of even stayed in touch on twitter where we like recognize each other's names and 
the guy's just wacky and hilarious. Um, but it, it really took me by surprise where, you know, I go into this seminar and like one of the first things you do, they ask you to introduce yourself. And I'm like, oh, you know, you know, of course I wasn't going to, I wasn't, had no intention of selling anything or linking or anything, but it was like, yeah, uh, author of Hourly Billing is Nuts, and I've got a podcast called Ditching Hourly and Business of Authority, and, you know, got a music degree, played guitar in a band, and lived in a van, and, you know, <laughs> the usual <laughs> normal, like, quick thumbnail sketch, and a shocking number of people were like, tell us more about the book, and I was like, I don't know if that's cool, but, you know, it, um, and that's, so that's more like clienty, but it, it was a watering hole. It's definitely, it was a, a class you can think of a class as a watering hole. So if you think that maybe there's something a little bit more directed at you, so maybe it's uh, something like a mastermind for people like you, then that, I mean, I, I know uh, a couple of people that have taken the, what's it called? Uh, Dan Sullivan's. Um, oh yeah. His coach. Strategic um, coach. And yeah. And they just talk about bonding. I mean, they're like going vacation together. So, you know, so in theory, I mean, that's expensive, but in theory, you could consider those to be like a watering hole, some kind of class that has a cohort where people are sort of birds of a feather flocking around, you know, this particular, particular idea. Oh, yeah. And you know, what's interesting is um, I had a client who attended a, a workshop last year and their biggest disappointment because they liked the workshop was that they had a cohort, but there was no way to stay in touch. There was no Slack channel. There was no nothing. And they were so disappointed in that. And that was really, as it turns out, it was, you know, one of the main reasons why they wanted to do that. And when I did one of my masterminds last year, there were a couple of people who basically joined primarily for that reason. They were like, I want to find other people like me, because guess what? The Chamber of Commerce in my town doesn't <laughs> have anybody like me. Like they don't understand, you know, how I run this business and how I grow and those kinds of things. So yeah, you can find you can find your people in the most unlikely of places if you're mm -hmm. on the lookout. Yes, uh, I guess it's worth pointing out. This is sort of a hail mary um, last ditch effort, but if you if you cannot find a watering hole like you're pretty clear about who you're looking for but you just cannot find a place where they gather online uh, you can start one and i've had a few people do this not tons and it's a lot of work to keep it from being a ghost town especially at the beginning you need to bootstrap yourself into some kind of level of activity that is high enough that people come back but not so high that they're like they're like uh this is too crazy i gotta sign out of this uh, but that won't happen at the beginning at the beginning the the risk is that it's going to be a ghost town and just that nobody comes back so um but but i've had a couple of people do this with great results so just starting a free community just free like starting a free community of uh, it could be like a slack room or a linkedin group or whatever it doesn't matter the technology doesn't matter um uh, I've seen one. Yeah, just seen... pick the right platform for your for the topic. Like Facebook is good for some things and sucks for for others. Same thing yeah. with LinkedIn and Slack. Yeah, yeah. right. So like I, I've had, I, I picked Slack. As a matter of fact, I was going to switch off of Slack for my workshops for a variety of reasons, but I ended up staying with it because it's the because most people who follow me already have it installed. Like that's literally the reason. Like they're familiar with it. 
it's not perfect, but they have it. They know how it works. Not everyone does. I have to, you know, I have a little, little, uh, tech help channel for people that are new to Slack, but there's so many people that know how to use it that everybody can kind of help the, the people that are new to it. But yes, I totally agree. So if there's a, you know, if you're in a technical community, then, uh, then it could be Slack or discord if they're really technical or if they're gamers or whatever, it doesn't matter. The technology doesn't really matter as long as it's, it's doesn't present an obstacle or a barrier to the people that you want to get in there. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be big. You know, you could, you could start, I've actually been thinking about doing this. This is maybe, maybe next year, <laughs> maybe <laughs> see what my theme is next year of, of just, a invitation only mastermind of, you know, like six to 10 people. And it's like, there's like not even an expectation of daily communication, but quarterly or some like longer time scale. It's like maybe meet at the beginning of the year and, you know, like a, like a typical, what I would consider to be a typical mastermind, um, kind of like peer group, no one in charge really. And I don't know, it, it just seems like something that, um, it seems like it would be valuable to the members if, if it was careful, like all masterminds, if it was sort of carefully curated and handpicked where people were different enough, but similar enough, those sorts of things. So you, anyway, yeah. you could- Cur- Curating that is, is the art form. Right. Yeah. And it's always magic, right? Because it's mm-hmm. people. And anytime you have a group and you change one member of the group, the dynamic changes. Yep. So, and- Yeah. Yeah. So I had a, in 2015, I was someone who I bought something from, we didn't know each other. Um, I don't remember how we met, but he, he reached out and got about 10 people together. Um, for, he called it the productized consulting Roundtable, And, and that group of people is like pretty tight still like reasonably tight. So you so it doesn't, it, my point being like, you can start a watering hole or you can start a little community and reach out to people that you consider to be peers or maybe even ahead of you and and put it together so it could be it could be just an intimate little thing like that where you know you meet maybe once a month or once every two months or quarterly or it could be you know you're shooting for more like a bigger group Um, but yeah anyway long story short you can you could just start one if you can't find one because if you can't find one probably nobody else like you can find one so yeah there might be a demand yeah you know, I did that um, for an alumni group. Um, I think I started it in 2009. And it's not a, like a really active thing in LinkedIn. But I did it because I wanted a way for people who were in the big consulting firm that I that I was in at the time, for people who were either, they could be there if they were still there, but it was ideal if they had left. So that we had this open forum to have conversations about things. And we all sort of had this same starting point. And I haven't looked at it for a while. I think there might be 1,500 people in it, something like that. But um, it's, you know, I did it for a very specific reason. And, you know, I don't sell to that group. Um, and a bunch of them are retired now. It's kind of an odd assortment of people. But because we all had this similar experience at the same time, I thought it would be valuable to have a place for for us to gather if we wanted to. Mm, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Is there another... I'm trying to think of an example where um, the relationship comes from completely out of left field. Uh, so... In case you didn't think I was a nerd, um, I I played online D and D with 
with some folks this past weekend, which was definitely the nerdiest thing I've ever done in my life. Like, like I was a huge D&D nerd in junior high 40 years ago, but playing it online is even nerdier. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's a lot, you know, I, Maggie wanted to play and I had bought into this, uh, this Kickstarter that were, the bonus was you get to play D and D with the people from the Kickstarter. And so these like two things happened mm. at the same time. And I'm like, ah, I'll try it. And anyway, the long story longer, the other people in the game are super interesting. Like one of them, I kind one of them, I know fairly well, the other ones I don't know at all. And they're all professionals and creative. And, and so anyway, so I bring it up because it could be that your that someone who would make a good fit for your authority circle might be from a social circle or some kind of hobby or outside. And I was just wondering if you had any examples of that. Yeah, um, a, a few. Um, like I, I've had um, people that were neighbors. Um, a couple of them became clients because they just happened to be in in you know in an area of expertise. And they just had never heard of anybody like me. They're like, really? Tell me a little bit more. And so, you know, you meet somebody because you're walking in the neighborhood or um, one of the places I lived had a concierge. And so she would organize these, you know, social events. And so I would meet people that I wouldn't have met otherwise. So, yeah, I've had that happen. Um I've had, um, I met a couple of people. I used to do these really long bike rides, these century, 100-mile rides. And you get to know people on those rides when you stop for snacks and, <laughs> you, know. you know, or your bike breaks down and you need some help. And so, um, yeah, I met a few people on those that I still stay in touch with. Um, I'm trying to think if there was anything else. I mean, you just never know. And it, it's funny because, you know, my husband is way more social than I am. And so like when we go out like to restaurants and things, he gets to know all the servers and like, you know, are they married? Do they have kids? What do they like to do? Is this like their full-time thing? They want to do something else. What are their dreams? What are their hobbies? <laughs> and in the process of doing that, like sometimes I just sort of roll my eyes, like, can we just eat dinner? But what's been really interesting is um, you just never know. And I've had a couple of referrals to people. It's more like becoming clients than authority circle. Right. But, um, um, well, no, I I can think of one in my current neighborhood who's really an authority circle person now because uh, she's a a former journalist and now writer and has a huge circle of journalists across the planet. And so every once in a while, she'll send out my stuff to them. Cool. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah your neighbors, it's... church, whatever. I mean, because really what we're talking about is like, how do you start a relationship? Where do you meet people that you can start a relationship with? Because that's, I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about, right? Like that, it's almost like that dance, like a, like a, you know, courtship almost, you know, not to get too woo-woo relationship e, but. Yeah, but it's, but... but it's that resonance. It's not unlike. I mean, it's a different kind, but it's not unlike that, you know, spark of falling in love with your partner. You know, it's that, you know, you see somebody across a crowded room. Actually, I want to say that did happen to us once. It was really funny. So we were at this. um, I'll never say it's funny because it's not funny. Um, We were at a, a celebration. It happened every year and it was an Oscars party for animators. 
And we saw this couple across the room, and they were such a handsome-looking couple. They just looked so interesting. And I turned to Harvey, and I said, before the night is out, I want to meet those people. And so we start moving around. They made a beeline for us. And so we started talking, and we had so much in common. It was unbelievable. And it was just one of those things. Now, you know, it wasn't like love, but there was something that looked interesting to them. And I said that to them. I said, it's so funny because I'd said, oh, my God, they look so interesting. I want to meet them. She said, we did, too. That's why we were coming over here, because we wanted to meet you. So, it, yeah, it, it can happen like that. And I, I'm sure it's happened to people who are listening, like at conferences, where you just have like right. a little sidebar conversation with somebody, and all of a sudden you're talking about an idea, or you're swapping stories about something. It's That's really what we're talking about. They don't necessarily have to be in a position to help you. Um, they just will because they want to because they think you're cool like the same way that you will help them because you think what they're doing is interesting or there's something about their story that resonates with you and you want to help them. Yeah, exactly. It's like meeting people that you click with and perhaps optimizing for being in places where you might meet the kind of people that uh, where this mutually beneficial kind of circle relationship can exist. And when you were saying that, I was reminded of of speaker dinners like I used to when I was speaking at lots of conferences like I I'd I'd miss my slot before I missed the speaker dinner (laughs) you know what I mean yeah like like I would not miss the speaker dinner because it was always so much fun you know there would be like it was it was you know people kind of on the same track weird kind of on the same weird track I was on you know not that they were all teaching or, or or interested in the same topic but that they were had that weird life that i have yeah you know, speaking like, consulting yeah, writing flying yeah. around and writing books and like it's weird like you just don't meet that many people like that but there's like literally mm-hmm. everyone at the conference that's speaking <laughs> is sitting around the table they're probably all just like that so uh yeah that's a great i've gotten tons of tons of that tons of of people that are in my what i would consider my third circle now came from that so yeah, other other speakers at events that you're at are really good people to stay in touch with. Yeah, and I think the tricky thing is in-person groups in your hometown. Now, if your hometown is, you know, New York, Chicago, LA, San Francisco, Silicon Valley, Seattle, I mean, you know, you can probably find some really interesting in-person groups. If you're in a smaller market, it can get harder to find people who get you, right? right? And this is one of the things that came up a lot in in my mastermind last year is people would join these um, small groups, you know, like a chamber of commerce is a classic, but there's usually some other networking groups in a city of even a small city. Um, yep. And they would go to these meetings and it's like they just didn't, they weren't understood. So these are people who are you know, pretty successful and they're bringing home lots of money and they're not spending money on employees. They're not spending money on having a shop. I mean, it's just, it's a different kind of life. And sometimes not only can you not help the people who are in that other group, like a shop owner, um, they really can't help you. They don't, 
it's like it's too hard for them to understand how they can help you. Now, you might be able to send somebody to, you know, to the muffin shop and say, oh, man, Sarah <laughs> makes the best muffins. You need to go there. So, so you can contribute to a group like that, but it can be really hard for you to receive from those. And that's why I would say even if you're more inclined to do in person, I would really try to balance that with virtual so that in virtual you do have a greater chance of finding people who are who are um, who understand what you do and who are kind of living the same sort of life that you are yeah exactly yeah the one of the things about in person that you, you kind of alluded to earlier is that it can be brutally difficult to actually get the contact information in a way that's not awkward or uh, or inefficient it, it's it's kind of hard where like I'm trying to think like there are people that I've known for years, just to, to use a hobby example at my karate school, I don't know their last name. You know, like, like I would have no idea how to get in touch with them. I'd have to call the school and they probably wouldn't even give me, you know, it's like not their information to give out. So, you know, and, and certainly I've had the experience at conferences where I met a bunch of, a ton of cool people, like a ton of people, you know, you get off stage, a lot of people will come up to you afterwards because they know you, but you don't know them. And they'll say, you know, I love your talk. I had some questions, da, 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 da. And, and you, maybe you're going to say we should keep in touch, shoot me your email, go to my website, sign up for my list or something. It's just not going to happen. And I, I remember the first time I went to a conference where the organizers set up a Slack room before the conference. So, and it had channels for like speakers and attendees. So people could start to kind of socialize before the conference. And, you know, it was great. It was like a combination. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it was combination online in person. And so by the time you got to the venue, you know, people were like, oh, I'm just, you know, I just got to Nashville, just got off the plane. Uh, is the restaurant and the hotel still open? You know, like people are already connecting before they even get there. And then you get there and you immediately know like a bunch of people's names. You're like, oh, you're the one that was just landed. Yeah. Oh, you just landed. I, I don't even have to say how was your trip. I know it was great or terrible or oh, like, oh, how about that? How about that airplane food? <laughs> and you can, you can... It was fantastic. I mean, I left that conference. It was relatively small. I mean, if there were 200 people there, I'd be surprised. Uh, but when I left, I had like 40 contacts. That It was great. It was great. So mm -hmm. so point Well, and point the, being, the other thing I love about those, though, is that they do have name tags. You know, so if you're not great with names, like you can like surreptitiously write them down in your phone or <laughs> on a piece of paper. It's tricky. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, I don't know. Yeah. The, the in-person thing is, it is really hard to well i guess it's it's kind of like a bang for the buck thing where it's like if you're going to a conference to network you know like if you're if your thing is i really just want to meet new people i want to make friends in the industry it's really hard to not end up talking to like one person the whole time or two people the whole time or you know leaving without getting anybody's kind of so in terms of like bang for the buck I, I would, like you said, I would skew toward online, especially if you're in a small market, but I, I would skew online because it's just so much easier to stay in touch. It, it's, it's tricky to. Yeah. I mean, I, you can absolutely do it at conferences. I mean, I've done it where you get the list ahead of time, you go through, you figure out who you want to talk to, you, you know, you, you, you have like this laser focused, you know, where is John Smith? Do, 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 do. Ah, there he is. You know, it's like, I've, I've done that and it absolutely works, but you do have to be just, and I, it really is laser focused. Like you just have to 
stay on top of who you want to talk to and you've got to have your your own positioning really crisp and be really ready for that. But I mean, there are some in-person groups. I mean, I I belong to one in Chicago that was terrific and it was it was small. I mean, there were never more than 30 people in the room, but they were all leading professional service practices in mid to large size firms. And everybody was super, super helpful as I was to them. And it wasn't there wasn't a lot of extraneous meeting the way there can be like in networking groups. Oh, you three get together and you three get together and you do this. And and it just becomes like all you're doing is meeting with people passing around business cards. There are some in-person things um, geographically that can be really, really helpful. But I would just, I would explore them um, before I just dived in. Or, you know, another way to do it is every year you experiment with a different group. You know, you join one and give it a year. And, you know, don't give it a month or two months, give it a year. And if it's not working, then you can drop it and pick another one. And if it is working, then you can decide whether you want to stick with that or you want to add to it. Yes. Yeah, You the, the prepping for the conference reminded me of a story that might be useful to someone. Um, if you are going to a conference, like you said, if you can get the list ahead of time, or, you know, certainly you're going to know who the speakers are because that'll be published in advance. Um, but there also might be people tweeting about it or sharing on social media that they're going. And if you, you know, to even take it a, a step farther, uh, then like just laser focus on introducing yourself. Uh, I had one student that had a journalism background and set up short appointments to interview so it's kind of like the podcast model, but in person where they're like, oh, I'm going to be writing an article, a wrap up article after the conference is over. It was a highly, very specific, like weirdly specific conference and very niche topic and, and set up like, I don't know, 15 or 20 interviews with heavy hitters in the industry. Because of course, if you're going to a conference to speak, anybody that wants to like amplify the fact that you're there and whatever it is that you are talking about, you obviously care about it. Uh, you're probably going to say yes you probably have a lot of Mm -hmm. downtime yeah you know yes right it's an easy yes so and and that i know in that case that happened to lead to a lot of work but i'm sure it also led to a lot of i mean a lot of business but i'm sure it also led to relationships with people who you know authority circle type relationships yeah i'm sure i'd be shocked if that weren't the case yeah anytime you have a well-known blog or maybe a column in a well-known industry um outlet um or a podcast that people pay attention to yeah i mean absolutely it it, it's hugely beneficial and it's so efficient because you're physically at the session and if you can knock out 10 podcast episodes in a day and a half i'd say that's pretty good yeah yeah i've had people um have like set up their suite with like video cameras and everything and be like oh you know could we grab 15 minutes to come up we just ask you a few questions about your talk and they've got like a, not quite a line, but I mean, you know, I'm going out, someone else is coming in, you know, and it was, and the, these were not the organizers. Like, this is just someone that was there that, right. So, um, and, and, and I remember them, like it was year, 10 years ago, probably, but I remember them and I like have a vibe for, like, I know what they were like, I get them and I probably would like, you know, they would be top of mind if there was, if there was some, you know, like some reason to reach out or whatever, reconnect with them, it'd be like, oh, I should check, check in with those dudes. Yeah. I mean, because the thing is, when somebody does a conference really well, we notice and we watch. You're like, wow, that person, look at them. They've talked to this many people or wow, they had those heavy hitters up to their suite 
uh, or they've been talking to people about, well, I have to say that a little different, up to their suite to give an interview. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of like winning at conferences, right? So you right. can, you can spend a little extra money. Maybe if you were going, you normally wouldn't get a suite, but you do so that you can do this. You bring your equipment, you set it up, you do some advanced work. And all of a sudden that $2,000 conference produces, you know, $20,000 worth of content. Yeah, and relationships that will serve you for, you know, serve mm -hmm. everyone for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Anything else? I mean, what else? I mean, those are the those are the, the big ways. But I, I guess I want to come back to, it's sort of a theme that underlines all of this, is that um, it's that idea of resonance. And the, the idea of the authority circle isn't to populate it with people that you don't like or that you're suspicious of or, you know, that you don't trust, right? It's about finding other people who resonate with you and your ideas. And I think that's the most important thing. And so you might not have the biggest names in there. Maybe you will in the future. But they're people that you value. And that's what's important. Because if it's kind of people you're sort of so-so about, and you're like, yeah, I suppose I ought to hit up that guy, um, you know, for my new thing, they're not the right people. And you're not going to spend time, you know, giving them the care and feeding that they require to be able to um, produce mutually beneficial results over the long term. Mm, totally. And, and that actually might be interesting to close on a point about introverts or being an introvert, where for, for situations like that, my introverted, my more introverted students, they just can't whenever there's some kind of outreach thing, they just can't make themselves do it because they feel like, uh, because they're, they're just not natural at, at starting a conversation either in person or online. It's just not their favorite thing to do. Um, especially when they're, when they feel like they're being sneaky, like they're doing this for some tactical reason. And I'm like, but, but now these very same people will keep me on the phone for two hours talking about stuff they are super yeah. interested in. Right. Very same yeah. people. So it's like, it's like introverts can do this. An introvert, you know, if you feel, if you consider yourself introvert and you're listening to this, it's like there are ways to do this where you're talking about the subject matter, not necessarily yourself, let's say, where other people can't shut you up. Like, what's the thing that people can't shut you up about? You know, mm -hmm. spaces versus tabs, you know, like vanilla JavaScript versus React or whatever. What's the thing that you can't stop talking about? Even if you feel like an introvert, it's probably, you know, if you find someone who agrees or disagrees, you could probably have a, a pretty good conversation about it and connect, right? So it's like, uh, you know, whatever the, like, like if you're listening to this and being like, oh, I'm an introvert, I can't do any of that stuff. I, I don't, I think you, should, you know, give that some more Here thought. Yeah, here's the way to think about that. There are situational extroverts or situational introverts, depending on how you want to think about it. And that is, and I've worked with a ton of these people, where if you just look at them normally, they're very quiet, very introverted. But on their topic, where they know a ton and they are confident about that, in a certain situation, you might actually think they're extroverts because of the way that, and the passion with which they speak about their craft. So every introvert has the ability to be a situational extrovert on, on a topic of their choosing. So just keep that in mind. Right. Yeah, and it might be, I mean, you just need to figure out the approach. So like, I, I actually find being a speaker 
at a conference or, or other sort of even a virtual group is great for introverts. And it sounds counterintuitive, but you're not actually having a conversation. You're doing, you're doing a lecture, you're presenting. So you can, you don't have to sort of navigate the, the social cues or any of that. You, you know, at a conference, you can't even see the audience. There's too many lights in your face, you know, pretty much. You can only see like the first row or whatever. And, and afterwards, everyone knows, like it was a huge icebreaker because everyone knows what to come up and talk to you about, <laughs> right? Exactly. So you don't have to, yep. you don't have to do the heavy lifting, the, the, you know, the, the walking towards someone with your hand out saying, hi, I'm John. You don't have to do that part, you know? So it's, I yeah. think speaking, whatever presentations you do, whatever the venue is, I think it's great for introverts for that reason. Yeah. And you can prepare. So it's like, it, yeah, it, it hits, it actually ticks all the buttons except for that one moment where you're like, oh, I'm speaking in front of these people. Mm. But after, after the first 30 seconds, you're golden. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. That's my exact experience. Just know what the first two sentences are that you're going to say and the rest of it will take <laughs> care of itself. Yes, exactly. Well, cool. I think, I think we've gone around the bend on this one. Anything else? Nope. I think that's it. All right, folks. That's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.